morning. Uh, Brother Griffey is a little under the weather, um, but uh, so uh, we got a little bit of a different message this morning, um, and we're going to turn to the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 42. Uh, Psalms chapter 42. And... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, I want to take a look at a, a couple of passages here uh, in both Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Uh, it's uh, There's a, a, a great principle that we see in these two chapters. Uh, they're very much, if you will, uh, similar in their form. Obviously, Psalm 42 is a bit longer than Psalm 43, but uh, there is something that is important uh, in these pa- in these chapters that really uh, gives us an idea about how our attitudes should be. Um, you know, attitudes sometimes have a tendency to be subjective. Uh, when I was uh, in um, in uh, college and I was uh, learning about human resources, uh, we were talking about the concept of you really can't fire somebody for having a bad attitude because. Uh, uh, that attitude, you know, is, is, is not something that's definable. You always want to be able to terminate them for, uh, something that is measurable. You can't measure somebody's attitude. Uh, you can, you know, obviously measure something if it's a call center, how many people hang up on that person. Uh, you can measure if it's a salesperson, how much sales they have. Uh, you can manage, uh, you know, measure productivity. Uh, if somebody's got a bad attitude, quote unquote, and they're doing just the bare minimum to get by and, uh, you know, you've got a, something like that you have to produce 25 units a day and they're producing consistently 23, 24, 25 and all the rest of the team is producing 40 units a day, then you know that you've got a weak link. You know that you have to address that. But, you know, so, so attitude is something that is a, a, a bit subjective. But when it comes to what God thinks about our attitude, he has a very clear communication about how it should be. And, and, and we're going to see this. The reason is, is because how, how we are on the outside is going to really truly dictate sometimes the effectiveness of our witness. Now, obviously, when I'm talking about something that is outside versus something that is inside, I'm talking about how we carry ourselves, how we uh, present ourselves, something of that nature. But what I'm specifically wanting to talk about is how that looks. When we have the true inward change going on, there should be something on the outside that is different. There should be something on the outside that is different. And we're going to see this here in just a moment. But let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. We'll get into Psalm 42 here in just a minute. And uh, and we'll get into this lesson. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you again, Lord, for those that are here this morning. I pray for those, Lord, that could not be. Pray you heal them up and bring them back to us safely uh, and healthy. And Lord, again, I just thank you that we have this opportunity this morning to learn from you and to hear from your word. Pray, Lord, that you'd be with me and just simply speak through me, that this would uh, be a, a time, Lord, that would glorify you, give you glory, honor, and praise for what you do for us on a day-to-day basis. And, Lord, may there be a change in our hearts as we look at how we present ourselves. And I thank you again, Lord, for all that you've done for us this day. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Amen. In Psalm chapter 42, let's start off with this. It says, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat night and day. They were continually, or they, while well, they continually say unto me, where is thy God? When I pour these things, uh, or excuse me, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude and went with them of the house of God with a voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept, ho- uh, kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O, uh, o my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me, therefore will I remember thee from the land of the Jordan and the, uh, um, and the Hermonites and from Mount Miz, or excuse me, from the hill Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the day at daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me, while they sat daily, or excuse me, while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. In Psalm chapter 43, to continue this this thought process, he says, Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for thou art the God of my strength. Why dost thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out thy light and thy truth, let them lead me, let them bring me into, uh, unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy, yea, uh, upon the harp will I praise thee, O my God, or O God my God. Why hast thou cast down, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. So just reading those two chapters, we immediately see there's a lot of connections. There's a lot of parallels. There's a lot of use of some of the same phrases. And when we look at this, we can clearly see that this psalmist here, David, is, is, is talking about some things of sadness. Now, there's messianic prophecies in this. There's uh, some things that are dealing with Jesus Christ, uh, specifically at the time of the crucifixion, the uh, the taking of our sin burden upon him, uh, um, and uh, what he went through. But when we look at this, we see very clearly that this is about some issues of sadness and mourning and crying, some things that are are, are really, really, truly important in life. We are going to go through times of sadness. You cannot go through life happy all the time. It just doesn't work that way because an emotion is a transient thing. It comes and it goes. So you can't always have happiness. There are going to be times that you're sad. That's a natural response that God created within us. He created us with that sorrow to draw nigh unto him. And we find that these two passages very clearly outline that. When our soul is disquieted, what do we do? We should be drawing unto the Lord. 
In this day and age, people don't draw unto the Lord. They'll draw everything else, but not God. They'll go to something else that will try to, uh, if you will, lift them up, but it's not God. But what we find here is very clearly that he, he has this, this issue within himself. And what we find is he actually winds up talking to himself. In Psalm 42, he's, he's like, uh, uh, you know, he, he's asking, where is thy God? He's asking, uh, you know, why are, why are you, um, uh, cast down? Oh, my soul. He asks this a couple of times through this, through these passages. You know, the one thing that I like about these two passages is that this is, if you will, uh, validation that it is okay to talk to yourself. It's okay to have a conversation with yourself. It's not abnormal. This is something that we should do. And he's asking these questions and he's, he's, he's realizing that there's something that is wrong. There's something that needs to change. So when we look at this and we start talking about, if you will, a healthy attitude, a healthy spiritual attitude in this Christian life, we have to ask ourselves, do we really truly commune with ourselves? Do we go through the process of asking ourselves some really serious questions? Maybe sometimes they might be rhetorical. Sometimes we may already know the answers, but it's a, it's something that we have to ask. And here he is asking himself, asking his own soul, why are you disquieted? Why are you cast down? Why aren't you hoping in God? And we find that, that, that this is the, the, the concept of what he begins to talk about. And what he shows is that in this time of sadness, in this time of sorrow, he shows that there should be a desire and, if you will, a thirst in Psalm 42 for the things of God, for him himself. Something that he should desire. It's something that he should want. Something that should be, if you will, at the forefront of, of his mindset of, hey, I, I want to make sure that I am seeking God in all of this. I, I want to, I want to thirst for him like, like this, like he talks about the heart that's just panting after and just wanting that refreshment. Cause he realizes that's where it's going to start. That's where it's going to come from. He, he has a desire in Psalm 43 to be judged. He has a desire to be judged. Now, look, we go through life trying to avoid judgment. Oh, man, we try to avoid judgment at all costs. You know, the, the, there's the misuse of that uh, that passage of Scripture about uh, uh, judge not lest you be judged, right? People have absolutely no idea what that means. But the psalmist here, he's got an understanding of what judgment is, and he understands he wants God to judge him. When's the last time you woke up in the morning and you said, God, I want you to judge me for what I did yesterday? <laughs> that's a, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to say, right? Because we know, we, or we think we know what we did yesterday. But here he makes it very clear in, in verse one of Psalm 43, judge me, oh God. Judge me. And he does it, he asks that so that God can accurately plead his case. That he can, he can deliver him in the appropriate manner. This, this is showing, if you will, an open soul to God and, and, and desiring his spirit to work within him. This is something that, if you will, is a real true cry for help. It's a cry for help. Now I'll tell you this as you go through this and you look at uh, Psalm 42 9, 
He, he says, I will say unto my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? He says the same thing in verse 2 of Psalm 43. For thou art the God of my strength, why dost thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And we find out the circumstances of why he is cast out. He's having a tough time is what he's having. Anybody have a tough time last week? <laughs> Anybody have some difficulties in their life in the past month, past year, past couple of years, past decade, past 40 years? <laughs> we, we begin to realize, you know, th- there, there are things that go on. And I'll tell you, as the psalmist is looking at these circumstances and he's looking at the circumstances of oppression and it's turning to a mourning I mean, we kind of like to rank things. You know, you ever go through that ranking thing of uh, of how people, uh, um, you know, how they don't like something? They'll say, "Well, I don't like it," and somebody will say, "I I I dislike it," or somebody will then say, uh, "I I hate it," and then you got the person that says, "I loathe it," and then you got God saying, "It's an abomination." <laughs> And, and you, you, we, we kind of rank that, and we kind of do that sometimes with our emotions and with sadness. Well, I'm sad because, you know, I missed out on an opportunity. Oh, okay. Nothing huge. It wasn't like life or death. It wasn't, you know, having to do with anything financial or something of that nature. Just it was something that was like, oh, I missed out on that. You know, you're, you're going to your favorite donut shop, and you get there five minutes right after they close, and you're like, oh, you're disappointed, right? There's some sadness. And then you go through and then you realize there's other sadness when, when things happen to you in your life, circumstances, problems, issues, loss of a loved one, you go through grief and mourning. Because that's a person that had a huge impact in your life. It's a person that you loved and cared about. It's a person that you're going to miss. But when we begin to realize that these circumstances uh, um, what, what wound up happening is because he was letting it go too far in the process, it became a serious issue because he then began to have a sense of abandonment. He began to sit there and think of, uh, on himself, God's forgotten about me. God's cast me off. But the fact remains is that he hasn't. The fact remains is the psalmist begins to affirm in this, these two, two chapters is that God hasn't. The issue is with the psalmist. The issue is with the one that is speaking here. The issue is the one that's, that, that's saying and having the conversation with himself saying, I, I'm the one that's at fault here. I'm the one that's doing these things. I'm creating this sense of abandonment because I am not near my Lord. Which is why he starts off Psalm 42 with, I have a desire for him. And here's why I have a desire for him, because I've been gone for so long. I've been gone for so long. There should be this, this want and this desire to, to, to go back to where we were. To restore relationships with God. And I'll tell you, this, these two passages are great when you begin to think about how the circumstances of your life 
can dictate how you think. This is why it becomes extremely critically important that as we think in this life, that we bring those thoughts into captivity. And as he's going through this, he's showing, and if you will, in some transparency, saying, look, I had some problems. I had some things that I was thinking about. I was, I was asking God why he's, he's forgotten me. Why is he cast me off? Uh, I, I, I'm here in oppression. I need him to remember me. I'm, I'm going through a difficult time. I've got people that are out to get me. I've got all sorts of uh, uh, failings in my life. Uh, wh- Lord, I need something. Our environment will often dictate what we think about. The circumstances that we go through. Sometimes we allow the circumstance to affect us more than we allow the hope of God to affect us. And that's, that's a serious thing. That's a serious issue, in, if you will, that cry for help in our life. Take a look at Psalm 42 and verse 8, and we find here what David, he kind of comes to this realization in verse 8. He says, yet the Lord will command his love and kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me in my prayer unto the God of my life. Take a look at verse 3, and he says, O send out thy light and thy truth in verse 43, or chapter 43. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto thy holy hill, unto thy tabernacles. Here he is, he's saying, Lord, I want to restore some connection. I have a desire to get back to you. I need your light and I need your truth to bring me back. I need to to, to have that be my guide in my life so that I am going the right way. I'm going the right direction. And here he's even saying in, the, in verse 8, he's realizing how great God's loving kindness is to him in throughout the entirety of the day. And even even when there's a time when it seems like it's dark, he has that song that God has given him in his heart. That song that God has given him in his heart. It is, it is critical that a Christian have a song in their heart. Every believer should have a song in their heart. I mean, look, I, I understand the influence of music and what influence does. You ever get one of those songs that gets stuck in your head? And you're just like, ah, oh, you just want to get rid of it, right? And you're sitting there trying to figure out every which way you can try to get rid of it and try to get it out of your head. And sometimes we put those own songs in our head. I mean, you know, sometimes people, they, they, they look at their situation and they bemoan their station so much that the song of their heart is probably highway to hell. I mean, you know, they just, they think their life is miserable and that seems to be the only thing that is, is, is being sung. But, you know, here we are and, and we sang some, some songs this morning. One of my favorite songs, if you will, is, is, is a good song of the heart to have is to God be the glory. To God be the glory. Be thou my vision. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. What a day that will be. How great thou art. And the psalmist is saying, look, even when things and times are dark, and I'm feeling like, uh, uh, you know, have that thought process of, of I'm alone, and it, it, 
he's like, I have God still with me because he's the song that he's given to me. That comforts, that encourages, that, that, that gives us courage to continue in God's will. He realizes he needs this. Not only does he need this loving kindness and this song, but he knows that he needs it for his life, according to verse 8 of chapter 42. Because what does he say in the prayer, uh, in my prayer unto the God of my life? This isn't just God, but it's the God of my life. The God of my life. You realize how great a declaration that is? I mean, you, you, you go through the Psalms and you see various different ways that psalmists cry out unto the Lord and, and, and he's called out multiple times to my God and, and, and it, he ends both of the chapters with that phrase, my God, and he takes, if you will, possession and ownership of who God is as in he, he's going to have that relationship. He's not like Saul where he was having the conversation with Samuel and, and Saul tells Samuel, why don't you go talk to your God? That was very condemning of what Saul's heart was. It was very condemning of what, where, where Saul was in his spiritual life. But what we find here is we find not only does he refer to him as my God, but he refers to him as the God of my life. You realize how encompassing that is? Life. There's a lot of d- debate about life right now. There's a lot of debate about, uh, uh, you know, the sanctity of life and when does life begin? And everybody's out there arguing all sorts of different things and they're arguing this and they're arguing that. And, 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 and I just, I was curious one time and I just went ahead and, and I looked up and I wanted to find out exactly what the definition from a scientific perspective of life was. And it was pretty clear that nobody really has a true scientific, uh, uh, a distinct definition of it because again that fits certain agendas but one thing that was uh, that struck me as odd and 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 regardless of what you think about the organization there's nasa sitting there and as one of the scientific agencies right of of the of our country it says that life is occurs when the cells begin to grow i'm like Thank you for that. Thank you for that. There's life that is there. And here the psalmist is saying, you know, he's, he's, that God's going to be the God of his life. He's, he's, he's truly taking this on and saying, Hey, I, God, I want you to have every aspect of my life, every area of my life. I need it to be controlled. I need it to be uh, dictated. I need it to be led by you. And that's exactly what he says in verse 3 of Psalm 43. He says, Oh, send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Lord, I want those so that they bring me closer to you. I want them so they bring me closer to you. He realizes the need that's there. But what we find here in these in, in these verses, and in verse 11 and in verse 5 of the chapters, which are very similar, he says, hope thou in God. Hope thou in God. And in his conclusion, if you will, of needs, of what he needs in this life, he says, look, I know I need hope. 
But throughout it, what else does he say? He says that the joy that he has and that he needs is going to be, <coughs> excuse me, is only going to be found in God. Take a look at chapter four, uh, chapter 42, verse 4. <coughs> chapter 42, verse 4. <clears throat> and I like this one because it talks about the fellowship with others. And here's the interesting thing is he was not allowing the fellowship of others to affect him in a way that would draw him nearer to God. This was just kind of as he's going through saying that he's, uh, you know, his tears are saying, where is thy God? And, and it's right stuff between that and uh, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Verse 4, he says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. This is a good time to go with the crowd. I went with them to the house of God. You, know, you, you, you got to look at that. Going along with the crowd is never a good thing if it's leading to sin. But if the crowd is leading you to the house of God, go with that crowd. Go with that crowd. That's a good crowd to hang around. Why? Why do we say that? Because what does he say? He says, I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept holy day. You're keeping holy what God has called holy. And what are they doing? They have, they're lifting up their voices with joy and praise. Joy and praise. You know, our attitude of how we approach life and how people view us is going to be very critical in our witness. If we just have this uh, despondent mentality and, and and we just have this uh, general disposition of an angry badger, we're going to, 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 to not be an effective witness for Christ. How does that show, show the joy and praise this multitude had? How does that show hope? When the world so desperately needs hope right now. As we continue to go through it and we look at this, uh, this passage, you go over there to, ch- uh, chapter 43 and verse 4, it says, Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto, uh, unto God my exceeding joy, yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God my God. You ever wonder where they get that impression that we're gonna be playing harps? Yeah. <clears throat> But what we find here very clearly is, as he talks about who God is, God is his joy. God is his joy. It's not just some casual thing that just kind of, if you will, he allows to to fall into his life. No, it's his relationship with God. It's how close he is to him. It's what he desires to receive. If he doesn't have that close relationship with God, guess what's going to happen? That joy is going to be robbed of him. And we find here that this is what he's wanting. He says, I'm going to go to your altar. I'm going to get things taken care of. I'm going to make sacrifices. I'm going to make offerings. I'm going to make vows. I'm going to do all these things, Lord, that are pleasing in your sight in the way that you want them. I'm going to be the way that you need to see them so that I'm pleasing you. We find that this psalmist says that that direct result of obedience brings about that joy. That, that, that desire to be with others that are around, that are influencing, that have that voice of joy and praise is going to be influencing him in such a way. 
Have you ever been around the person that just, again, I, I've talked about this before, that can just, has the super power ability to suck the joy right out of a room? You know, you're there and everybody's happy and everything's going great and then the person walks in the room and you just instantaneously just felt like just life, all life was just sucked away. Like some sort of joyless black hole that just gets rid of it. Yeah, and don't be that person, all right? Don't be that person. Why? Because you, you have a loving God. You have a giving God. You have a faithful God. You have a God that died for you and saved you and forgave you. You have a God that you're going to spend the rest of eternity with. That should definitely change the attitude of our hearts. Should change how we, how we portray ourselves. How we, how, how people view us. How people see us. He found that the, the, the only place that he was going to find this hope, the only place he was going to find this joy was going to be found in God. I'll tell you, that's the thing that people need the most when they're going through sadness. Sadness is a process. Yes, there is a grieving process. It's proper to grieve, but then when we let it go too far, like we do with all of our emotions, is when we get into trouble. It should draw us near to God, and when we draw near to God, what's the end result? It should be an immediate response of, oh, now I have joy. I still may be sad over a loss, but I still have joy in my heart, and I know that there's extreme hope that I can have in my God because of His faithfulness and because of His trustworthiness. And what does this produce? I want you to see this here. Take a look at verse 11. Verse chapter 42 says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health, who is the health of my countenance and my God. It says the exact same, same thing in verse 5 of chapter 43. And I, and I want you to think about this for a minute. You know what our countenance is? It's part of our face. But it's a bit more than that. It's a bit more than that. It's kind of how we carry ourselves. It's how we present ourselves. It's, it's, it's how we show. Now look, there, there's a big problem if we're all show and there's no substance. That's called pharisaicalism. If there is no true inward change, then as Christ said, all we're doing is washing the outside of the cup, but the inside is still filled with filthiness. And God despises Pharisaicalism. Why? Because Pharisaicalism is, is essentially pride. Pride is the root of humanism. Pride is the root of every false religion that's out there and every false doctrine. Pride is the root of um, so many sins. Pride is the first one that showed up. Pride is what brought Lucifer low. And we begin to realize how much God hates pride and that proud look. So we don't want to have some sort of fake appearance. We don't want to put on airs. We don't want to fake it or feign it. 
We, we, we don't want to be in such a situation that, that we don't really truly represent the attitude of having God our God. And this is exactly what he does here. He says, he, he ends it with talking about my God, but he's talking about the health of his countenance. The health of his countenance. The conclusion that we find is, is that obviously it's going to be based upon how we approach that relationship with God. Is God just God? Or is God my God? Is he personal to me? Or is he just a vending machine? Is he a first responder? Dial 911 when I'm in trouble. Or is it more than that? Is it a, is it a loving, caring relationship? Is it a desire to know him more, as he started talking about in the very first part of chapter 42? And I'll tell you this, how we portray our attitude in circumstances of this life is going to be based upon how we know him. How much we know him. How much we have that desire. I mean, what we find here is, he says, who's the health of my countenance? Who's the health of my countenance? He wants to make sure that whatever countenance and whatever he's portraying in this life isn't just one of, if you will, a self-debasement and self-criticism and just putting himself down constantly. No, it's not a matter of that. Now, people will talk about this and they'll say, well, well, you, you shouldn't put yourself down. No, absolutely. You shouldn't really put yourself down. That's not a good thing to do. Why? Because if you're too busy putting yourself down, you don't have time to put God up. If you're too busy beating yourself up, you don't have time to praise God. When a person is going through and they're like, oh, I'm just a horrible person. Well, we know that. <laughs> God told us that. He said our righteousness is filthy rags. Paul said he's the chiefest of sinners. For all of sin to come short of the glory of God, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Yeah, we know the condition of that. But praise God, he saved us from that condition. Praise God, he forgave us our sins. Praise God that we are no longer called sinners, but called saints. Do we still sin? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Good night. The other day I had to drive over to Camus. Oh. One point in time, yeah, I, I guess I guess I got a little 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 bit of it get to me. It's sick and tired of somebody riding my tail the whole way. I don't want to have another accident just because some guy decides that he's you know wanting to to do how much over the speed limit and whatever he is. I always like that. You're there, you are in the in, in you're passing a vehicle. And as you pass the vehicle, somebody comes up right behind you. And they're right there. 
And they're just, they're, I mean, they're like, why aren't you speeding? And they're just like angry. And I'm like trying to pass a car. And I'm using left lane for what it's supposed to be. And I get, get, get over it and I give, I don't want to cut the car off that I just passed. So I give them some distance. And they think that that distance is for them to cut the car off. And then they swerve around and then they get in front of me and then they try to brake check me or whatever. I'm done with that. So yeah, I might have got a little bit in the flesh. Yeah, had that happen in like all the way over to campus, and I'm just like, I'm. What is it with the people? You know, there are things that that, that, you know probably should have that, that I should not have uttered in my own skull. Like you're gonna get a flat tire or something. There's gonna be a cop up there, and he's gonna he's gonna catch it. You keep doing that, you're gonna wreck. You know, I'm not wishing those things upon people, but I gotta check my heart. Those circumstances affect my countenance. But here's where he says the health of my countenance is affected by the praise. If I go and I just beat myself up over that constantly, I've got a problem. If I go to the Lord and I get it taken care of and I confess, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't bring it up again. It's taken care of. So what do I do? I praise God. You start debasing yourself. You start bringing yourself low. You start, you know, being overly critical and, you know, just, if you will, casting yourself down as this psalmist was doing. Then what do you do? You sit there and you praise God. What does he say? For I shall yet praise him. Regardless of the circumstances, he's going to praise God. He's realizing that's his problem. He's realizing why he's, why he's having this, this, if you will, these thoughts that God's not there and why is because he's allowing the circumstances to get to him and he's not praising God. He's not praising God for what he has. He's not praising God for what he's done. He's not doing any of those things. You know, how we view our circumstances, um, you know, we're going to do that in a spiritual manner, whether we like it or not. And we're going to have to make a determination of whether or not we're going to follow the Spirit in this or whether we're going to follow what our flesh wants. So we have to make a choice. And those choices of whether we're walking in the flesh or we're walking in the Spirit are going to be shown in our life, in our countenance. And our countenance is all encompassing. It's not just the visage. It's not just the face. But it's how we carry ourselves. How you carry yourself will determine whether or not you're a victim. You walk through life like this. Somebody's going to be like, hey, easy pickings. You walk through life standing upright and just walking. I have a tendency, apparently when I walk, I look overly aggressive. I guess, intimidating. Because sometimes, you know, when I'm walking, and because I've had some arthritis in my fingers, dangling them down here like this gets a little painful. So I have a tendency to walk around like this. 
and I'll, and, and, and they hurt, so I will occasionally do this as I'm walking. Now I'm walking up to somebody like this. That's going to be a little intimidating. Apparently I do that. <clears throat> Intimidate people. But, you know, it's going to show in our outward appearance of how, how we do it, every way that we carry ourselves, how we deal with the circumstances of this life. And we have to ask ourselves, we have to look at ourselves, we have to ask God to judge us in this. Do I look sickly and weak in my countenance, or do I look healthy and strong because my confidence is in God, and my strength is in God, and my hope is in God, and my joy is in God? You know, I'll tell you this. You know, we go through that 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 thought process, and and he says it to, twice over there in Psalm chapter forty-two. Where is thy God? He says it to himself in his tears, and then the enemy says it. And I'll tell you this: the enemy will pick up on that. Take a look over there in verse three, where he says, "My tears have been my meat night and day, while they're continually while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God?" And if you will, in a in in a in a sense that there's a, a, a he's oppressing himself if you will and then we find in verse 10 where it says uh at the end of it where they are saying his enemies and my reproach um he says while well, they say unto, uh, daily unto me where is thy god i mean we 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 find two situations here where he's going after these 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 things, and in the first first one, he wasn't identifying anybody as an oppressor at that time. He wasn't identifying any enemies. The only thing that he identified were his tears. Next thing you know, is the enemy picks up the same thing that he just thought in his own heart. Again, because of what they can see. And it's one of the greatest things that, that, that we are going to face. We're going to face doubt as a Christian. You're going to face doubt. Well, I don't know if God can do that for me. God can do anything. Why do we even have those thoughts? Because we doubt. Because we, we struggle sometimes with faith. Because we struggle with obedience. Because we struggle with trust. Those are why those thoughts appear in our heads. And I guarantee you, the enemy's going to see it too. The enemy's going to see it and read, read us like an open book. Brings about that, 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 that dis, disquieted state that he was talking about. Where his soul is disquieted. He's cast down. He's kind of, if you will, in a bit of a depression here. But I'll tell you this, it winds up getting moved into the direction of hope and joy because of what he says. And he says, hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. He changes this direction and he says, look, my hope is going to be found in my God, so I'm going to praise him, and that's going to change my outward countenance. That's going to change how I respond to things. That's going to change how the world sees me when I go through trials and troubles. There's going to be a distinct change. There's going to be something that is different. I tell you, you know, 
you, you see people respond to things and, and it's just, you're like, wow. Wow. I, I, I watched when, when our 45th president was sworn into office, people dropping to their knees and screaming for a full minute. I'm like, okay, that, uh, that's, that, that's horrific. And then I saw people do the same thing when our 46th president was, took an oath. I'm like, regardless of party, regardless of leaning, the end result was is that they had allowed something to affect them. In this day and age, we've got people that they, they just, they're maladjusted and they're malaffected by the circumstances of life. And as a Christian, and again, this is sometimes why they hate Christians. Because the Christian still understands that, yeah, we're going to try to do what is right, but I'm not going to let it affect my countenance. I'm not going to let it affect my attitude. I'm, I, I'm going to still praise God. My hope is still going to be in Him. My joy is going to be found in Him. And I think that many times when we get to this point of where we actually are going through this conversation with ourselves and we discover some things and we go, why am I disquieted? What, 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 why am I stressed about this situation? Why am I, why am I so angry? Why am I so upset? Why, why am I so sad? And I'll tell you this. The first stop that you begin to do is ask yourself this question. Are you still hoping in God? And ask God to judge you whether you are or whether you aren't. And then ask God to judge you. God, am I praising you enough? When's the last time we lifted up his name in praise? This past week, I, I got a text message from my from my mom uh, with some really kind of ugh, news about um, my dad and talking about his heart. And they thought that there was some sort of uh, problem with his heart. One of the valves was failing, or they were they they, they brought up the whole the 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 word aneurysm in the heart. And uh, I'm like, ooh. And they're talking about surgery, and they're going through all these tests and everything. And uh, she was asking for prayer. And I prayed. And prayed. They came back and they said, well, there's no aneurysm, but we still can't figure it out. We think maybe there might be a problem with the lungs. All right, let's spin the dartboard. <laughs> See which one we get next, right? <clears throat> I think it's a problem with your big toe. That's it. We got to cut it off. <clears throat> Sometimes, doctors. But uh, I just, I just remember sitting there thinking about, okay, Lord, 
is what it is, and he had been exposed to a lot of secondhand smoke in his childhood and growing up. And um, and it's like, oh, might be, might be that case. He did one more test and came back, and oh, no problems. Got a green, he's got a clear green, you know, a green light for a bill, good bill of health. And I just remember just kind of sighing and going, oh, praise God. Praise God. And it shouldn't be times only when we go through difficult or things like that. It was the last time we praised God, we got out of bed. It was the last time we praised God for the food that we had. When was the last time we praised God for the relationships we have? When was the last time we praised God for things in our life? I'll tell you, many times there are issues in relationships uh, between, say, husband and wife or children and parents, something like that. And I'll tell you, one of the main reasons is because uh, there is a distinct lack of praising God for those situations, for what God has given. So there's got to be that mindset. There's got to be that desire that clearly outlines and clearly shows the health of my countenance is going to depend on my relationship with my God. The health of my countenance is going to depend on how near I am to the Savior. Let's keep that in mind. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time. Thank you again, Lord, for what you've uh, taught us from your word. Pray, Lord, that as we prepare our hearts for our main service this day, that, Lord, you would just uh, clearly show us and demonstrate to us the necessity of the correct action in our life, Lord, to receive those blessings from you. Thank you again, Lord, for all that you've given to us this day. And this I ask and pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.